Welcome to Wood Stories. My name is Katia Esparza, and I'm one of the co-hosts for our Youth Worker series. Hello, hello, welcome. My name is Frankie Franco, and I'm also one of the co-hosts for the Wood Stories Youth Worker series. And today we are with Nicole Coleman, who is a creative leader and organizer from Worcester. Welcome to our series today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. The city of Worcester presents Who Stories. Tell us a little bit about what gravitated you towards youth work. I was a very weird kid. <laughs> and I found that within like the city limits, there, there was not a lot of programming that served the things that I had interest in from, you know, STEM to the visual arts in performing arts. And when I was able to find those very special people who were able to mentor me in those modalities, those are the most pivotal moments in my life where my life, you know, shifted and changed. And I realized that you know, there, there were people out there that wanted to help me grow my own skills and talents and, you know, be there for, for me. And that never left me. So, you know, when I was done with school and then I got into my career, I knew that at some point I was going to get into teaching. And I ended up teaching art out in the Merrimack Valley area of Massachusetts. And I was able to work with a lot of underserved people in the community, mainly some homeless children that were displaced from their homes and were living in this like motel in Methuen. And this one young man was just a, just a light. He was, he was so happy and excited to come to my classroom and to paint and to draw and to learn. And it, it just, it did something to, to me. I was like, how can you be so happy and excited when, you know, your life outside of here is, is so challenging and so difficult. And um, he reminded me of me when I was little, I was like, well, how was I able to maintain that? Like, it's because we have an outlet, you know, art is a space where we can let loose, we can be ourselves. And, you know, and in me, he found, you know, a resource, a mentor, somebody that was willing to to sit with him and help him grow his imagination and, uh, you know, allow him the space to dream and not try and put so much of the heaviness and the seriousness of, of the outside world and circumstances in his life upon him. And, that really inspired me to keep going with that. And, and, and I knew that, you know, back in, you know, my city, that there was more that, that could be done. And there were still a lot of holes to be plugged up when it came to serving the youth and also, you know, educating young, young folks here. You know, we've, we've got some, we've got some work still yet to do because not everybody's getting the same opportunities and, over the last several years, I've seen a lot drop off in terms of what's even available for our young people here. And when you take away things from people that already don't have a lot, you're 
creating this narrative that that's just how it is. And, you, you know, that spreads in all areas of life. So if we can show children in these very formative years of their life that not only they matter, but their dreams and aspirations matter, and that there are people willing to work with them to make those dreams become reality and see them succeed in life, that it's not about something that we're looking to gain. We really want to see them come up. And and that's all we're looking for. I, I think that at the core of youth work, there is trust. And like that, that trust that is real and honest about our true investment for young people. And I know you mentioned that the, you were that person when, when you were doing art with young people. And I, I'm curious to know who helped you in your journey and who were those mentors for you? The biggest mentor for me very early on in my life was my godmother, who was a professional artist in Hawaii. And that was really wild to me. <laughs> the fact that not only did she live in this beautiful, like tropical island paradise, but that she was able to live there and sustain herself by just selling her art. She saw something in me. And instead mm -hmm. of being like, you know, this is cool. You can paint, you know, you can do like stained glass work, but you know, you got to get a real job because you know, this isn't sustainable and people don't make a living off of being artists. You know, she was the exact opposite. And honestly, if I didn't have her, I think I probably would have given up on being an artist and doing anything mm -hmm. creative very, very young in life because, mm -hmm. you know, my dad was somebody that his, he was really, really strict, you know, like most black fathers, it's like, you gotta do something that's going to get you respect and get you enough money and, you know, get you out of the struggle. And my mom grew up really poor. So she, you know, worked like 12, 13 hours, hour days in the service industry. So that's what I saw. And I saw, oh man, like, this is what my life is going to have to be. But having that presence in my life that was like, you can survive, you can, you can even thrive doing what is on your heart, doing what you love to do. Just in those beginning years of my life, you know, five, six years old, being able to talk to my, my aunt on the phone and say, Hey, you know, I had this really weird dream where I like, I was a unicorn and like, I lived in space and she's like, that's really cool. You should, you should draw that or you should, you know, like write about that. And the more that that kind of thinking is encouraged in, in young folks, mm -hmm. the more the world is, is going to keep changing for right. the better. I also relate a lot to that. Just find that, that one person who believes in you or just finding that one role model that makes you believe that you could also do it. But I'm curious to know, like, who sparked that interest for you to get involved in education? Like, who, like, who were those influences? Because you're, like, a multifaceted person who, mm -hmm. who does, like, a thousand things. I do. <laughs> I <Man>. do. <laughs> <laughs> if you got a lot to give, you got to give it out, you know? Yeah. You know, when I leave this earth, like, that's it. So I might as well leave behind something that people can use and, and help other people with, you know? I had the most 
eccentric and old and weird uh, performing arts teacher when I was a kid. Mrs. Darby, I'm sure at this point she's she's long gone. Back when Worcester had the Accelerated Learning Laboratory, I I went there and she handled all of the choir and theater and dance. And she was kooky. She was a kooky lady. She was one of those old ladies that always had like lipstick on her front teeth and like like a run mm. in her stocking. But she treated us like we were Broadway actors and actresses. She would like go all in and gas you up. Her encouragement really helped me open up more and realize that, that I, I loved the, you know, the theater and I loved uh, you know, acting and performing because it allowed me the space to, to be more free. I, I know she got paid trash. She did not get paid well mm-hmm. at all, but she came in every day. And just the fact that she was willing to give me that space, that was like crazy to me. I'm like, man, this lady really believes in me. And the fact that she, she was never really going to see that come to fruition I was like, someday I'm going to do that. That's what it is. It's you're not in it for you. You see that they need that space, that opportunity. And you know that you have at least at the very least the ability to find the resources. And if you can't to be that resource. So I don't, I don't really think there was like much of a choice for me, you know? And like, I get choked up about it because everybody else around me was not concerned or doing anything like that. A lot of my cousins were getting pregnant really young. Other people in my family were getting locked up, you know, at the age of, you know, 17, 18. I didn't see a lot of hope. I didn't see a way out. And what Mrs. Darby was able to create for me was that way out. And having her teach and guide me opened up my mind to the fact that this wasn't always going to be my life. I could get myself out of this situation. Because I had had that early intervention, that early education, I was able to keep pushing myself there. And I wouldn't have gotten to that point if it wasn't for Miss Darby and people like her. Thank you, Miss Darby. It's so incredible. Like, even though she may not have seen the impact, but you're a living legacy of Mrs. Darby. And not only you, but probably a whole bunch of other youth as well. And something that I think is at the heart of that is all the love that she poured into all of you and with you. Youth work is about that. A lot of us who are doing youth work and organizing, pour our hearts into the work. But how do you take care of yourself in order to be able to show up every day presently in those spaces? Well, one thing that I've you know, learned is, is just a major tool in life, no matter what you're doing, is making sure to you know, kind of check yourself before you wreck yourself. And mm. if you have things that are unchecked within yourself, it's really hard to, you know, move forward. 
And, you know, our heads and our hearts are, are connected. So mental health is, is, is so, so crucial. And I've been in therapy regularly for, for years and it's been such wow. a huge, huge, huge help to me because growing up in a black family, uh, therapy is not really a thing that you hear about or talk about. <laughs> and part of, of therapy is, is it allows you the space to be completely open and vulnerable and that person's sole job and responsibility is to help you navigate those things in a healthful way that is going to help you. Mm-hmm. And it's not just you talking to a friend on the phone or, you know, going and reading something online. And, and those can be really viable tools as well. But therapy is just, it's so great. And I really recommend it to just tell literally anybody because it gets you to things that you might not want to get to on your own, especially when you're doing any kind of work that is serving the community. So many of us are very emotions driven. We're very empathetic. And that's part of what leads us to do this work. Mm-hmm. We've been through it. We know how hard it is. So we want to be that person that can be there for others. But it is hard taking in a lot of other people's stuff. You have to find ways to, to let it go right. and not try and carry it. Cause, and it's hard. It's very, mm-hmm. very hard. But it is, it's important to like be able to have a space where you can process all that stuff because like, you can't true. keep it all in. You will be so big mad all the mm-hmm. time. And I actually lay it to all of that is just being a person of color mm-hmm. is having to navigate these spaces. It's so unfortunate that there is a stigma attached to seeking mental health support, which part of it is that our cultures raise us to be, you have to be strong. Mm-hmm. You have to hold it in. And also, I know. Always my, survive. And also in my household, I don't know if it's the same for you two. It was like, you don't talk about family business outside the house. Oh no. You keep it 100%. private. 100%. So it was hard just to talk to people about what's going on because I was raised like you don't talk about the family at all, like zero percent. It took a mentor of mine to like really break down that stigma of seeking mental support. Like, hey, you need it. You're carrying so much and 90 percent of it is not even your stuff. So I'm curious to, to know, like, who taught you that? Like, who taught you to, like, melt that stigma away to seek mental support? Because like you said, you've been seeing a. A therapist for years, but who pushed you to go seek that that support? You know, I had some really great friends that were, you know, had gone through similar hardships and they had started going to like therapy regularly. Okay. And I was like, you know, hey, how's that working out for you? And like it's really great. Like, you know, this person has helped me really change my life and put things into perspective. And I was like, hmm. I might have to, I might have to try, try that out. And I had known other people who had, who had gone through stuff and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'd been through like counseling, you know, for other things in in life that I'd gone through, but didn't have like a full-time, like regular, like weekly therapist. So much of what I, I feel and I experience and I 
have this have this heaviness on me isn't even from me. Mm. This is just from everything that I've had to witness, experience, generational trauma. I didn't know what any of that was. You know, Mm. like both of you are saying, it's like I was raised to be strong. Like you just keep on, keep pushing through. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the way that our society has been structured, the mental health of black and brown people was not ever a area of concern, you know? In fact, the more that we became aware and took hold of our own like worth, the more that that was thought of to be a problem for so much of our country's history. So, so they didn't really care about like us sustaining a healthy living. And even still, it's a struggle for us to get equal care in the medical field. But luckily, it's shifted enough where there are more and more people working in the realm of mental health that are aware of these things and that are working to help dismantle them and to help people heal this generational and familial trauma. And and I think that if anyone is listening to this and has thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll go, but, but I don't know, like, I don't know if I'll fight in the right person. You can, and you absolutely shouldn't take those steps because you will be shocked at what you discover and what you're able to let go of and what happens after that. There was so much that I was blocking myself from. I didn't see people in leadership roles that looked like me when I was younger. It was portrayed as so being so difficult. You're going to have to work extra hard because you're a woman of color. It's going to be even more difficult for you. And that stuff becomes like really discouraging in it. In it. And it takes sorting through why you think that way and letting go of that stuff to be able to move you into areas and seasons in life that you may have never thought was possible. I kept myself in places I shouldn't have been for so long because I thought that that's just where I belong. That's the only places I could be. And it wasn't until I was in therapy and I was, you know, doing things that helped me to release a lot of that stuff that I realized I can be one of those leaders. Something that um, you mentioned is one, that that need for representation of, you know, having folks like us doing these things, having youth workers in our lives, encouraging us to do these things. Um, And all of those are ways that we can figure out our own capacities and take care of our own selves. So to our listeners, figure out your way, stay vigilant to like those around you because those are messages that of what can help us out and guide us through all this unlearning and relearning that we have to do. And to wrap up our conversation today, something that we ask all of our guests is to share what is that place in Worcester that brings you peace and joy? Um, so it could be a location, um, whatever you want to share. Yeah, we'll call it in. What is your woo spot? My woo spot? Yeah, woo spot. 
My favorite ooh spot is the top of Green Hill. I remember laying up on that hill with my mom, looking at clouds. I rolled down that hill many a times. Even now, I still have this like feeling inside of me when I'm at the top of that hill. I'm like, oh, I want to roll down this so bad, but I might hurt myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love it up there. It, it, there's some, I don't know, there's something magical about the top of Green Hill when, when you're sitting up there. There's a peace and a serenity up there that you, you, you can't really get anywhere else in the city. Yeah, that's my that's my jam up there. <laughs> I feel like I know you more. I'm inspired. And thank you for sharing so much. Yeah, you left me a lot to process and to think about. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I hope that any youth that happen to, to listen to this know that if they have people that they look up to, just people that they think are cool and stuff that they they wish they could get into. Don't give up if it's not immediately around you, the resources that you need. There is a way to get to where you, you want to go and the resources and the people that can help you get there are, are very close by. Don't, don't give up on your daydreams, y'all. This is a podcast created by the Division of Youth Opportunities. Thanks for tuning in. Check out our next episode because we will be speaking with Nancy Ortiz about using a passion as alternative programming for youth. The Wood Stories Youth Worker Series was created in celebration of 2021 National After School Professionals Appreciation Week. Appreciation Week is a time to recognize and appreciate those who work with youth during out-of-school hours. It is a joint effort including community partners, after-school programs, youth and child care workers, and families. Wood Stories is produced by Frankie Franco, Kathy Esparza, Vanessa Calixto, and Liza French. This episode was edited by Liza, and our episode art is by Vanessa. Special thanks to all of our guests. Our theme song is Gone by More Beats. You can find these episodes and more on our website, www.worcestermay/youth-opportunities. Find us on Facebook or check out our Instagram at Worcester underscore D-Y-O. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.